are there so many podcasts about movies with critics who hate and get mad? Movies are miracles, some more than others. They just make us happy and glad. Movies are neat, so just eat on Kahitos. That's a call back from our show. Someday we'll stop it, but not for a while now. The Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. So close. We have to go back. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And today, we are taking a look back at the 1979 The Muppet Movie. It's a special one. We do a lot of historical movies, but this mm-hmm. one is pivotal. And I'm, I'm very excited that we get to just jump in and talk about it. I think you mean puppetal. Oh, I did mean puppetal. <laughs> I did. You're right. Sorry, there's a smudge on my notes. Puppetal. <laughs> now, we are reviewing this movie because The Happy Time Murders is coming out, uh, and we decided to swing on the other end of the pendulum and uh, review this very adorable uh, movie that has murder mentioned, surprisingly, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, you know, not... Rated R by any means. Uh, So before going into history about the Muppet movie, we have to give you history about the Muppets. Now, the Muppets, a lot of people, like my stupid self, thought that Muppets stood for monster puppet. Uh, It actually is a blend of the words marionette and puppet. And that is how you get the word Muppet. Now, the Muppets first made their television debut uh, in Sam and Friends in 1955. Uh, It was a show, basically, that first featured Kermit the Frog and uh, several other Muppets that uh, aren't as famous as the ones that we know today. Uh, But Jim Henson, if you don't know, is just a guy who really... Has a, You know that guy who's just like, man, they're really good at this one specific thing, and I don't know how they do it, but they do it so well. That's Jim Henson with puppets, and he has been making puppets for decades, and the Muppets themselves went through and had fame in late-night talk shows, uh, television advertisements, uh, and famously in Sesame Street. Jim Henson, oh. like was criminally underpaid for what he designed for Sesame Street uh, with Big Bird and several of the other Muppets uh, there. And the Muppets even uh, had some appearances in uh, Saturday Night Live. In the uh, Saturday Night Live's debut season, the Muppets were featured in a couple of sketches. There's a skit called The Land of Gorch uh, that kind of dealt with decidedly adult topics. Yeah, and these aren't the Muppets that you're thinking of. They were very different characters. They looked more like a mix. They they were the monster puppets, um, and they kind of had like a dinosaur feel to them. Uh, but yeah, more mature way of talking than you would ever see in like the Muppet show. 
Absolutely. And only hired SNL writers were allowed to write the sketches, but none of the typical team who works on the Muppets, including Jim Henson, Frank Oz, uh, Jerry Nelson, or any of the others were allowed to write. And Oz later said, I think we didn't really belong on Saturday Night Live. I think our very explosive, more cartoony comedy didn't jive with the kind of Second City casual laid-back comedy. So the writers had a lot of trouble writing for us. I know Michael O'Donohue, who was a writer in the early SNL days, uh, famously said, I don't write for felt. And <laughs> he, he really took a stand against it. And that a lot of the writers like resented the, these Muppet segments. And so it was probably best that they you know, went different ways pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And so Jim Henson said, that's okay. We don't need the Muppets to be shown in a show we just need our own Muppet show. Um, so Jim Henson pitched two pilots to the Muppet show, and neither of them were picked up by any of the American TV networks. And so a British commercial station known as ATV offered a deal to Jim Henson to produce the show um, at their studios in Elstree, England. So the Muppet show is actually an English show. They oh. And then they sold the syndication rights to the United States. As a part of a syndication deal. And the Muppets were a household name. They were so popular in the U.S. market that two stations broadcasted different episodes of the Muppet show back-to-back time slots. So kind of imagine this as, like, you're watching ABC, the Muppet show, and then you're watching CBS. The Muppet show comes on, like, right at one after another. Um, and the show was actually never canceled. They ended up ending the show so they could focus on the movies particularly the muppet movie so the muppet movie was made with a budget of eight million dollars and it made 76 million dollars and if you're thinking that that's a lot of felt adjusted for inflation that would equal over 265 million dollars today That's a lot of green. Oh, yeah. That makes green being real easy. (laughs) Um, And it was the first time that uh, full-length puppets were shown. And I mean, like, puppets shown from more than just uh, the waist up. Like, Kermit riding his bike was actually made possible by a very intricate kind of marionette-style track system where they basically have strings that are invisible to the human eye on film like right above him, just running along this track just so they could achieve that shot to get Kermit to uh, play the banjo in the swamp scene. Jim Henson was like in a barrel, basically (laughs) puppeteering him underwater with a little breathing tube. Yeah. It's effective though, because they're able to get the shots from all different angles and it immediately gives the character a more realistic feel. Like, you're, you're looking for the strings, but you don't see them. It was ultimately the right call. And they do that in several other shots throughout the movie where you start to forget, like, oh, yeah, that's right, I'm watching puppets. I think with us having grown up with the Muppets, uh, we're so used to them just being characters that we forget about the voices and, and the operators behind it, which is the entire intent. Yes. Like, It's very difficult to watch this movie being aware of the operators, uh, and they do everything they can to help you forget that they ever existed. So I just think it's an amazing feat of, like, execution 
for the purpose of bringing characters to life. Absolutely. It's just such a great creative uh, characters and focusing so much on the art of puppetry and how that can be used to tell stories uh, and make people feel. Uh, if you like to hear us geek out on other puppetry-filled uh, feature-length movies, uh, check out our review of The Dark Crystal because it's 1,000% just mm. all of that. Yep. Before it's time to play the music or light the lights or get into our reactions of the Muppet movie tonight, I want to give you guys some fun facts. So... In the Muppet movie uh, third act scene where Animal grows giant uh, due to the uh, giant making pills. Uh, uh, slash the Pym particle. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no, Grayson. Head cannon is Who wore it away. better? <laughs> Who wore it better? Uh, Hank Pym stole the Pym particle from Winston <laughs> Honeydew. Uh, okay, so... um. So when uh, Animal eats that, the Instagram pills, Henson refused to use a normal puppet or a miniature set to accomplish the effect. So the crew had to construct a giant animal head that measured 60 feet. Hmm. Because that's how you spend $8 million. Like, oh, what else we, what else we got to spend, <laughs> spend this money on? A 60-foot animal head. It's like, well, we got $7 million remaining in the budget. (laughs) What to do? What to do? Um, And Kermit's version of the Rainbow Connection reached number 25 on the Billboard Hot 100 in November of 1979 uh, and remained in the top 40 for seven weeks. That's the only frog I've ever known to have a Billboard charting hit. Yeah. You're probably right about that. The turtles did pretty well. They had a, they had a few hits, but mm-hmm. turtle is not a frog, as yeah. I learned in kindergarten. <laughs> kindergarten day one. All right, kids, first lesson: turtle's not a frog. Turtle's not a frog. Uh, and my last little bit of fun facts is that in the final scene, uh, the final shot, there are two hundred fifty Muppets. In that final shot. Oh, I and that shot. It's such a great shot. Now, in that shot, you have 150 puppeteers in a 6 foot by 17 foot wide pit. And they recruited so many puppeteers, including Tim Burton. Whoa. And he's like, I hope this doesn't awaken something <laughs> in me. It certainly did. <laughs> and the film is dedicated to ventriloquist uh, Edgar Bergen, uh, who appears in the movie as a cameo role as one of the judges um, and then later passed at the end of the production. But Edgar Bergen is the reason why Jim Henson saw the potential for puppetry in the first oh. place. So it was really cool to see um, that he got to work with one of his heroes. Yeah, that's nice. I feel like he got to work with a lot of people's heroes in this because the cameos are insane. Like everything from Mel Brooks to Steve Martin to spoiler alert, uh, Orson Welles. Like it's just, it's, it's nuts. If you got a full list of everyone that did a cameo here, I'm also interested in who could have been in the movie uh, that wasn't as famous then, but then became a star. I, I don't have any 
facts about that, but that has happened occasionally where you have like people who show up and do cameos and you're kind of like, who is that? But look in the background, that's a guy that's famous now. Uh, but the Steve Martin scene to me uh, could have been the whole movie. Like that, <laughs> that is the movie to me of just when he's like going through the whole snobby waiter thing at a low class restaurant. And the, to me, the most perfect line in the whole movie is, do you want to smell the cap? <laughs> it's like, man, that's everything. Like, that summarizes so much of what this movie is. Yes. Uh, but yeah, every cameo um, was like an individual sketch. Like you have the Mel Brooks sketch and you're like, it keeps going through it. Uh, it's great. And the running gags of, uh, that's a myth. That's a myth. Uh, Th- that's Carol Kane. Yeah, Carol Kane from. Uh, oh, she's done tons of stuff. Yeah, but Taxi, most recently, Unbreakable uh, Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, yeah, that's I. I know her most from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. But then I also, when we watched uh, Man in the Moon, I was just like, oh, that's right, she was in Taxi. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She she was uh, Andy Kaufman's girlfriend in Taxi. This is the first time that I watched this movie after seeing uh, the Muppets. Uh, um, the the Jason Siegel the Jason Siegel uh, kind of revival of the uh, Muppet movie franchise and it made that movie so much more emotional for me like I was just remembering mm-hmm. things from that movie because I just love uh, the Muppets uh, soundtrack and it was so cool to see that this is what they kind of built their nexus of the Muppet universe from like, this is like, you know, the Muppet origin story. Like how did the Muppets really meet? Like, I love <laughs> Kermit's uh, lines. Just like, he's like, uncle Kermit, is this really how the Muppets met? Well, it's uh, approximately how we met. Yeah. And that, that dual reality that they set up there of like, we're in real life watching this movie that they put on together, it does make you question like what's real uh, in the story and what's not. But then they connect it together at the end when Jack runs through the wall. And what's nice about this movie is they remind you of that uh, structure every 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. There's some, like every act break is basically just bringing it back to remind either the projector breaks down or they pull the script out to read ahead. Uh, And, I mean, the pacing is just is really well done. Uh, and it, it keeps you from getting to end and being like, oh, that's right. This whole thing was a movie and kind of feel, feeling cheated by the end of it. Uh, you actually come full circle of, oh, we started by watching the thing that they're going to make at the end. Yeah. Uh, and it's great. It's just such a great way to approach an origin story like that. Yeah. It's almost as if planet Earth then turns the camera over to earth and just realizes earth retelling its own story or something like that the snake that eats its own tail (laughs) by the way i couldn't help but feel i don't know deeply connected to kermit and fozzie's relationship (laughs) i was just like yep i feel like that's grayson and me i feel like that's us it's not too far off from how we originally met it's really not there's a bus involved uh yeah yeah dancing comedy and a bus that's basically the origin story it really is maybe my favorite moment is when he comes out on stage and he's like waka 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 and he take and he, like the crowd's like on board 
And then he takes his sunglasses off, and I was like, boo boo <laughs> I just thought that was great. Oh. Uh, was there anything that you noticed this time around? Uh, actually, when, when was the first time that you watched this movie? I, oh, man, it had to be in theaters. No, it was... Uh... <laughs> I remember I had a paper route. Um, Always keep them guessing how old you are. <laughs> it was distinctly 1979. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I probably saw this, I want to say five years old, like seven, five to seven was probably the first time. And then like every 10 years, I feel like I've, I've seen this, like every 10 to 15 years, it kind of, uh, pops up again. And so every time I get so much more out of it. So obviously when I was a kid, I just liked watching the puppets move, uh, and like the bright colors and the songs. And then when I got older, I liked the kind of irreverent humor of being like, hey, my other TV shows don't talk this way. Um, And then, like, now I just really appreciate the construction of the movie and uh, the pacing and the joke frequency is insane. It's got, like, 30 Rock level joke frequency here where you have visual jokes happening on top of puns, on top of like a topical references on like it's just layered so so thick and the the callbacks and even calling out the callbacks of like the Ari Krishna joke I remember the Ari Krishna joke from like my second viewing that that always kind of stuck with me um of just the misdirect of like well I'm lost have you tried Ari Krishna like that <laughs> I, th- that that has always kind of been like in my head when I think of a running gag. Uh, that's one of the the classic examples that I think of, and I I honestly thought that I had picked that up from Airplane, and then when watching this, I was like, oh, that was the Muppet movie. Oh man, that you would not have guessed. Yeah. Like if I gave you that joke and you had to pick between the two, you would think it's Airplane. But yeah. they were able to do Airplane like humor in a kid-friendly way, and that, to me, is amazing. Um, I obviously this time picked up more on the uh, cameos of just knowing who everybody is, and I think what I was able to appreciate more this time is why they were doing the cameos they were doing. Hmm. Uh, like, why Steve Martin plays that kind of character, or why Mel Brooks is doing this like very specific type of character um, and even Orson Welles, like, why is he the head of the studio? I mean, when I'm a kid, he's just an old man in a chair. But seeing it now, you're like, oh, man, there's you can feel the cinematic importance of Orson Welles acting with Kermit the Frog. Uh, so I, I can just appreciate a lot more of the history of this movie now um, and just be blown away by the, the actual execution of such a beautiful film. Oh, yeah. I want to say I watched this movie for the first time. I want to say like maybe three years ago. Mm. Um, and I think it was on Netflix. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I've never seen the Muppet movie. And it was like shortly after I watched Follow That Bird. Watching that movie, uh, this uh, watching that movie then and this time around, I feel like I've learned um, more about comedy <laughs> Um, and more about um, following your dreams. This time, watching this movie around, uh, it really, it really got to me. Like the scene where Kermit is in the desert. He's like, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't promise them anything." He's like, "Oh, I yeah. guess I did promise. I guess I was wrong when saying that uh, I didn't promise them anything because 
I promise myself. I'm just like, oh, Kermit, why are you doing this to me? This, uh, I, I, oh, that's beautiful. It's just like, yeah. it just seeing um, that little narrative, I think, was uh, more heartfelt for me uh, this time around. Um, but also just seeing the sheer magnitude of what Jim Henson was able to accomplish. Like if you, if, if I were to just tell you, you know, you know, it'd be really cool to get in the movie, uh, Richard Pryor, Steve Martin, <laughs> um, Dom DeLuise and, uh, Cloris Leachman. Yeah. And, um, ah, who is it? Oh yeah. Citizen Kane. Now, <laughs> let's get them all in the same movie. Yeah. Uh, let's just, just do it. Um, that would just be a very, like, huh, good story, Ricky, and th- to be th- done with it. But Jim Henson is the, like, the only person who could do that and who could get that kind of cast together and have all those characters play bit roles, not be the stars. They are second to puppets that's just amazing to me um and i i just i get i get really motivated by movies like this because it shows what is possible when you dare to dream so all that to say is hollywood i am ready for my standard rich and famous contract we are at flashback flicks let us know when you're ready for us yeah and i think the perspective that each of the characters have is so specific and unwavering uh, to me like kermit's optimism and his motivation this is something i didn't recognize how uh like steve rogers-esque his motivation <laughs> truly is where he's sitting on the log and he's like i'm perfectly happy here and then dom de tells him like but you could make millions of people happy he's not interested in money he just wants to make millions of people happy and that, I mean, it's, it's so beautiful. And then to extend that to other people, like when he's talking to Fozzie and he says, if they need frogs, they must need bears too. Yep. <laughs> Logical. Like, come on. Like, they need people. Uh, it's, it's such a nice thing. And then on the other side of that, just being able to talk to kids like they're adults and also have something for the adults that are watching this with their kids. Lines like... They don't look like Presbyterians to me. Like, <laughs> kids don't really know what that is. Or jokes like, what are you doing? About seven knots. Like, th- that is for the entire audience at this point. And Kermit's whole thing isn't necessarily about him being a frog. Like, the only reason being a frog is a problem in this is not because like Kermit is so locked into only being a frog and talking about frog things It's because the outside world sees him and says, I only see value in like, like basically harvesting your talent to sell frog legs because you are a frog. Like they see him very, uh, in a very shallow light. And uh, this shows like Kermit has depth, uh, like he can fall in love, he can experience heartbreak, he can experience guilt, like in that desert scene where he's like, I didn't promise them anything, like he feels guilty for bringing everybody on this journey, ultimately to go nowhere. And that is so complex. And all of these characters deal with that kind of complexity, but Kermit the the most. And to be able to have that kind of range on a character that I can't even blink is just, <laughs> it's incredible. 
I, I mean, Jim Henson, to me, is one of the great artists of, like, of cinema. Like, I know people throw Susan Cain in there, like, all of these. But you have to admire what Jim Henson was doing and the vision that he had. Like, he made it work. And he believed in the artistry of it. And this this is the, the movie that launched an entire Muppet cinematic universe. The true MCU. <laughs> Uh, so I, I just respect this movie like crazy and it was great to watch it again. It's time for unique ideas, Grayson. Oh, it's time for untold stories. Hmm. It's time for head cannon on the flashback flicks retro movie podcast tonight. Uh, or, you know, during the day, whenever you're listening to this, um, so, uh, you know, Head Cannon, part of the show where we share with you unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Um, Grayson already took my PIM particle idea. Oh, sorry. So, uh, uh, but no, I, my real Head Cannon is this. Um, I tried, I actually did, uh, some would say, too much research on connecting this movie uh, to this property. And so, uh, I did do a little bit of stretching uh, before I started this podcast because this is a reach. So, <laughs> Lou Lord, who uh, owns the like, who gives the standard rich and famous contract to the Muppets, uh, who is played by um, Orson Welles, yeah, who also played Citizen Kane. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, Citizen Kane, the timeline is fuzzy. That takes place in like the 1800s, so it was difficult to connect that to this movie directly to Citizen Kane. Now, Citizen Kane had um, a, a two wives during his lifetime. Um, their offspring, his offspring is unknown, so I'm going to connect it to this and say that Orson Welles in the Muppet movie is the son of Citizen Kane. <laughs> Nice. Thank you. Nice. Yeah. So my headcanon has to do with that desert scene where Kermit is talking to himself. Mm-hmm. And um, I have not seen every Muppet movie that's been released. There are a lot of them. So there, there could be uh, room for error here. But my headcanon is that that is not Kermit talking to like a manifestation of his own consciousness, that is another Kermit from the future that has come back to this moment um, in some future story where they have the ability to time travel. I believe there's an alternate timeline where they came here, gave up, the bus never got there, and then just he went back to the swamp. But then this Kermit came through and it's basically like, had to get his dad back with his mom kind of thing. And he's like, you need to like go forward and you need to do this thing. And basically like helps Kermit out. Um, so the idea and Kermit has met other Kermits too, uh, in, in different films that usually there's like the, the dark hooded Kermit and things like that. So I think there are all these other Muppet timelines that can align and, and he can course correct his own timeline. That being said, I think, you can also take the other movies in all of the, the Muppet canon, and we've reviewed uh, like Christmas Carol, for example, mm-hmm. and basically Cloud Atlas them together. 
um, that uh, that is like all of that is true and all of that is happening. The thing that made me think about that was the scene by the billboard and they make the comment about frogs with tiny crutches, uh, <laughs> which we have seen oh, yeah. in Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, so that's part of why it resonates so strongly with Kermit is because in a Cloud Atlas connection, Deep in his mind, he has lived through this where his son was a frog with tiny crutches, uh, which kind of shakes him loose from that scene. Mm. Um, so I think it would be a really fun thing. And this is more of like a recut than a headcanon. But basically, uh, I'd, I'd love to see a fan cut of like Muppets in Space and Muppet Treasure Island and uh, Muppet Christmas Carol with the Muppet movie and the Muppets uh, kind of just putting them all together into a, a single uh, stacked ensemble timeline. Uh, but I like to believe that they all exist in the same universe and have the same continuity. I love it. I have one more piece of headcanon, Ricky, if you don't mind. The more the muppier. The... Got it. Go ahead. Puff it. Puppet toll. Um... <laughs> My last piece of headcanon is that the Muppets actually take place, this whole universe is in the distant future. Even though it seems very 70s-like, it's more of like a Planet of the Apes type distant future. um, Where Muppets are the way they are because they are the evolutionary hybrid of human characteristics with animal characteristics. Um, However, that gets real messy when you get some people who are like, the evolutionary link where it's like human to human as is the case of the Swedish chef who for some reason has human hands. Ah, uh, yeah. He, then that my head canon really is why the Swedish chef has human hands. It's because he is the missing link between humans and Muppets. Yep. It only makes sense. All right. Now we're going to go to the part of the show where we like to talk about recast and remakes. Now, typically, we would just say, who would you cast? But this is the Muppets we're talking about. So I want to change this up a bit. Now, in this, like, one of my favorite things that the Muppet movie did is that it established that this is how the Muppets made it to Hollywood. It also solidified that the Muppets themselves are actors. And so from Mm -hmm. there, we had the Great Muppet Caper, uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, Muppet Treasure Island. So it's the Muppets acting in these other movies as different characters, which I love. Right. So um, this is actually inspired by um, someone on Twitter. Someone asked uh, Film Crit Hulk. Um, Corey J. Taylor on Twitter said, You can replace the cast of any movie with the Muppets, but you keep mm. only one of the human actors. Oh, yeah. What movie and which human do you keep? Oh, easy. Got it. All right, so I'm going to recast the cast of Ocean's Eleven with these Muppets. Yes! Yes! And I'm going to keep Andy Garcia, because it's always better when the villain in the Muppet movies is still human. (laughs) Oh, that's so good! Can you imagine Fozzie just, like, eating an apple every scene or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Julia Roberts would be Miss Piggy. Don Cheadle would be Gonzo. I mean, it just fits so well. Oh, that'd be so great. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Um, someone said this on Twitter, uh, and this is the thing that uh, got my attention, because uh, it was during the week that we were actually reviewing Die Hard. Someone said, mm. 
die hard that keep Reginald Van Johnson. I'm just like, <laughs> I kind of need that movie to be made like today. Uh, so then would like Sam be Hans Gruber? Oh, yes. Sam the Eagle would absolutely. Oh, no. No, I want to keep Alan Rickman. <laughs> oh. Oh, I would love to see a Muppets Western. I think that that would be Muppet Westworld. Yep, there it goes. I would love yeah, to see Muppet Westworld. Uh, I mean, Kermit's little spurs made me smile more than anything else in this movie. So if I could get an hour and a half of Kermit spurs, yes. I'm on board. Yes. That's great. I actually, when when I thought that we were going to recast this movie with other people, I was like, man, Orson Welles looks so much like old Luke Skywalker. Yes. Just, just do it. Yes. Which means you Mark Hamill... Citizen Kane remake, oh. cast Mark Hamill, everyone else's Muppets. There it is. I have it. Recast My, the me. remake everyone's been asking for. They've been clamoring for it for over it's 60 like, Please, years. top three remakes that need to happen. Citizen Kane, Casablanca, Gone with the Wind. <laughs> All Muppets. All Muppets. All right, now we're going to go into our final segment of the show where we like to give you our reasons to recommend. So Grayson, why would you recommend the 1979 Muppet movie? If it's been a while since you've seen the Muppet movie, um, go and see it again. There are definitely new things that you could pick up on. If you haven't seen it, then it is a piece of film history. And especially if you have an interest in comedy, it is full of every type of comedic device uh, from breaking the fourth wall to just puns to callbacks to visual gags. There's so much here. And if you're like, oh, it feels like a kid's movie, like it's got puppets. I I can't emphasize this enough. These puppets are like humans, but they're also animals, which makes it so much better because they don't have the constraints of human actors. It's such a beautiful movie. It's hilarious. Uh, parts of it are like kind of tense and, and thrilling. And it, ultimately, it's a heartwarming story. And uh, I mean, Muppets are, are part of our culture. They're just like in the zeitgeist of what makes us us. And I can't really remember a time where I know they allude to this in the Jason Siegel Muppets, but like, I can't remember a time where Muppets weren't around. And even when they feel like they've lost relevancy to me, they, they're still relevant. They're always relevant. Um, if for nothing else than this his, being part of the historical bedrock of a whole genre. So go see the Muppet movie. You will not regret it. And if you do let me know, and I'll tell you why you shouldn't have regretted <laughs> it. Yeah. I, the reason I'd recommend the Muppet movie is because you forget how much charm can happen with puppets. Um, the expression, the artistry, just even like it is an art form. Like it is a, it's a, an art form that Jim Henson and his following um, have found and used like continually as a vehicle. I mean, we're getting the happy time murders just because it's the complete other end of the pendulum Mm. um but also it's very akin to jim henson's roots they created the muppet show um kind of because after they made sesame street uh people kind of pigeonholed puppetry into this 
um, art form that was only for kids. They made the Muppet Show to show that it can go beyond that. They even did Dark Crystal to show, like, look, you can use this art form to tell and show so much that the imagination um, can dream like you can use these things yeah. and make all these things feel real it's, it's a it's a great connection between like animation and live action yeah. and i just think that watching the muppet movie like i said before it just it really is inspiring to see what you can do with fabric you know like it's they they yeah. use this felt in these characters to tell a story about following your dreams and it's great and there's a lot to appreciate in the movie uh but also just the muppets are so great and so fun i love what you said about animation too and i just want to kind of explore that for a second because puppetry really is a form of animation you are embodying an inanimate object with a personality with a voice with your movements and the beautiful thing about puppetry is like you are also doing that um and like make no mistake that is animation um it's no coincidence that even in animation programs or like after effects things like that you have things called the puppet tool mm -hmm. um and historically like puppetry is part of the evolution of what got us to animation today so it's uh super fascinating to see it not as a means to an end it's not motion capture it's not anything like that it is the art and i know you and i go uh, through this with improv sometimes where people are like oh improv's funny but it's like best used to write sketches or to write other materials and we're like no improv is the art same kind of thing with puppetry like puppetry is not a gag it's not a gimmick like when done well at the peak of its artistry like it's done here it is the art form and uh, that uh, something you just have to appreciate as a performer, as an audience member, as somebody with a heart. Would you dare say, Grayson, that it's heart felt? <sighs> I would dare say. And I would say, Ricky, for that comment alone, that this podcast has socially redeeming value. <laughs> Yes. And that is our review of the 1979 The Muppet Movie. Let us know what you remember fondly about The Muppet Movie on Twitter. We are at Flashback Flicks. We just, all, any Muppet related conversation, we would be more than happy to have. And it would mean the world to us if you could leave a rating of this show on a scale of one to five puppeteers. Ooh, no. Are you saying puppeteers or puppet tears? Because yeah. I had both. <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. Uh, on a tier of puppets, um, one being sock, five being animatronic, um, how would you rate this podcast? <laughs> really helps the show out. And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. 
We have a podcast to phone home about with E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Oh, you know, I didn't know that was a full title. Yeah, they didn't think people would know what E.T. meant, so they just went ahead and spelled it out. What's the point of an acronym if you gotta say the full thing? <laughs> uh, I gotta go get some money from the ATM, the automatic teller machine. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I didn't know where you were going otherwise.